today on Ag News Daily. Really proud that in the face of some challenging times, uh, inflation, rising interest rates, global uncertainty, we set a record for conservation work getting done in the state of Iowa this past year. And in fact, it was the third year in a row that we set a record. And I'm really proud of that. Well, listeners, here we are. Told you we'd be back two days in a row. January 3rd, 2024. I didn't even think about saying 23, Delaney. That's good. You're already switched over, Tanner. Yeah, I do. I do agree with you. I think this is going to be easier than it will be 363 days from now. Mm. 25, though, is a nice round number. So maybe we can yeah. get behind that one, too. Yeah, no kidding. You know, you might have a point there as well. I hate to say that twice in the first minute of the podcast, but we'll do that. We'll start everything off right. So let's take a look at the weather. We've got freezing drizzle, drizzle in the forecast for the morning and some light snow for our friends in northern Illinois and Indiana. Lake effect snow showers could produce some minor snow accumulations in parts of that northwestern Indiana area. Snowfall amounts are expected to be minor, but if you now jump over to western and central Nebraska, they have freezing drizzle as well as potential rain that's going to start tonight and last through Friday. Light snow is also in the forecast for part of that area. And now as the system that we're looking at into next week continues to materialize, some of the snow ranges are pushing to different areas. Certainly totals are becoming less and less as we look at what that forecast is going to be. Uh, we also see that maybe more of the southern Midwest region could see snow towards the beginning of next week, Delaney. Yes, snow next week is in the forecast indeed, Tanner, but rain was in the forecast for South America over the weekend. That really pushed markets lower yesterday. We'll get to markets here in just a moment, of course, but over the weekend, we saw some pretty timely rains in Brazil, which uh, certainly impacted the soybean market. As we look at heavy rains in Brazil, we saw that despite the unusual weather patterns, which have been seeing extreme heat and dryness envelop the northern two-thirds of the country and heavy flooding in the south, the recent ongoing wetter weather patterns has become a, a focus point for traders here as we're seeing it kind of happen across the country now, especially that northern portion that was extremely dry, got some really timely rain over the weekend. And uh, so we're seeing a mixed bag here. On the one hand, weather is looking better for Brazil, but on the other, Stonex just recently revised their estimate for the Brazilian soybean crop to a 152.8 million metric tons down pretty substantially from their last estimate, Tanner, which was at 161.9 million metric tons. This is far below the USDA's last estimate of 161 million metric tons. But of course, we've got a WASDE report coming out here in about a week or so. And this is going to probably be a big WASDE report, as we do see it's likely that USDA will adjust final yield numbers and production numbers here for the United States, but also this could be telling of what is to come on the USDA's report for South American production as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I had seen some of those headlines as well. And of course, had a lot of listeners sending me texts and direct messages about what happened to the markets yesterday as there was certainly a large sell-off. However, farmer sentiment towards the end of last year remained stable, according to Purdue's monthly ag economy barometer. 
the last barometer, which is based upon a survey of 400 agricultural producers every month, had a reading of 114. That was down one point compared to the month earlier. Within the barometer, both current conditions of the index and future expectations are included. Expectations declined one, per, one point also to 112 and 115. The numbers remained relatively unchanged from November. 2022, we saw record highs in the sentiment meter, but towards the end of the year, they did start to drop off. Uh, as you look at the current condition, it was up 14% at the end of the year due compared to the lowest portion of that region. Uh, we also see that the outlook for 2024 is better than expected. However, respondents rank high input costs as a number one fear and lower crop and livestock prices as number two, which makes a lot of sense, Delaney, as our listeners are very concerned about their revenue projections, but at the same time, they expected inflation and interest rates to decrease with 70% thinking that that is the direction those two factors are going to go in 2024. So it'll be interesting to see if those respondents are correct and that sentiment carries through. Well, Tanner, uh, as far as sentiment goes, retail fertilizer prices closed out mixed to end 2023, according to the DTN Fertilizer Tracker. Prices for eight of or six of the eight major fertilizers were lower the fourth week of December compared to the prior month, while prices for the remaining two fertilizers were slightly higher. Only one fertilizer had a notable price move, which is, of course, 5% or more. And anhydrous was that sole fertilizer that had a movement of 7% lower compared to the month prior with an average price of $792 per ton. As we close out 2023 and look to 2024, uh, five fertilizers were slightly lower, as I mentioned there. And two fertilizers were just slightly higher compared to last month. So in the year ahead here, it's uh, going to be timely to see what fertilizer prices do moving forward. Tyson, the largest U.S. meat producer by sales, said in August it would be shutting down its four chicken plants, including Missouri, as an act to cut costs amid slowing demand. The egg producer, Calmaine, will now buy Tyson's chicken plant in Missouri. According to the news release on Reuters, egg producer Calmaine Foods said on Friday that it has agreed to require the recently shut down chicken broiler plant and hatchery feed mill in Dexter, Missouri from Tyson Foods. Tyson is the largest meat producer by sales, and that plant was shut down as it looked to cut their costs. About 683 people worked at Tyson's facility, which had a population in that town of 8,000. They said it expected to convert the broiler processing factory into an egg grading facility initially and anticipates making additional investments to create new jobs. The company, which expects to close the transaction in the third fiscal quarter, did not disclose the value of that deal. Calmaine also said that it expects to enter into other agreements with some of Tyson's former contract farmers to convert their operations to support egg production rather than broiler finishing. So a positive turn of events for a facility that was going to be shut down.
Yeah, I saw that story as well, Tanner. So I'll keep moving along here. But we've seen now that a few different shipping companies that previously were avoiding the Red Sea area said that they would continue to avoid the Red Sea area that gives access to the Suez Canal following a weekend attack on one of the Marsk vessels. Both shipping giants, Marsk and German rival Hapag Lloyd, have both been rerouting some of their sailings via Africa's southern Cape of Good Hope as they've continued to see uh, militant attacks in that Red Sea area. But so far, they've seen quite a few attacks on shipping containers, and this one over the weekend here was certainly a bad one that has re-energized or reconfirmed, I suppose you could say, their uh, commitment to avoiding that area, Tanner. But do you have any other Hamas conflict updates for us today? I do. Let me flip over to those quick. It looks like Hamas' senior leaders was killed in an attack Tuesday in Lebanon, although U.S. officials don't have Official confirmation of this, we're looking to see who's going to claim responsibility. Hamas political leaders are stating that this was a cowardly assassination and are probably going to retaliate. retaliate. Israel is beginning to pull thousands of soldiers out of Gaza this week for their top officials to continue to work on negotiation. Israel attacks on Gaza have killed at least 22,000 Palestinians. And they'll continue to keep an eye on those headlines. Delaney, last little bit of news I have to contribute is a couple of dates to watch in 2024. January 19th and February 2nd are government funding deadlines. Those will be budget bills in discussion. Congress will need to approve appropriations packages as far as what they are going to do for the future of those short-term extensions. We also know that March was a target for a start on farm bill discussions. So if nothing starts in or before early March, we could see those being a little bit behind schedule as well. June 2nd is the Mexico presidential election, and we know how that can have an effect on our trade relationships with our partner south of the border. And September 30th is when the Farm Bill extension is set to expire. So if we don't see start anything started in March, that September 30th deadline could come faster than we expect. But those are just some dates to keep an eye on. All right. Well, I think that's the last headline I have for today. Do you have any other headlines, Sandra, before we take a look at the markets? That's it. Well, we're certainly trading a little bit mixed on the board after yesterday's lower day for grains. March corn up a quarter of a cent at 464. January soybeans are down two and a quarter cent at 1271 and three quarters. March Chicago wheat this morning down three quarters of a cent at 606 and a half. Hard red March winter wheat down two pennies at 627 and spring wheat down a penny at 714. Livestock yesterday, Tanner, opened up their first trading season of the year on a high note. February live cattle added $3.42.5 to open this morning at a box $71.92.5. March feeder cattle added $3.35, opening this morning at $2.26.45. And February lean hogs shed $2.65, opening this morning's trading session at $65.32.5. Tanner, excited today to chat with Secretary Mike Nag, Iowa's Secretary of Agriculture, about the year ahead for Iowa farmers. So let's turn it over to that conversation with Secretary Nag. 
Tanner, as we prepare for 2024 and the year ahead of us, I think it's also fun to reflect back on the year we've had. And we're going to do that today with Iowa's Secretary of Agriculture, Mike Nag. Secretary Nag, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. We certainly appreciate your time. Oh, I'm happy to visit. Uh, Thanks for the invitation. So as we look at the year in review, 2023 was a pretty good year for Iowa farmers, maybe aside from some drought uh, challenges that we had during the year. But as you look back on the year in reflection in the rearview mirror, give us a recap from your perspective of what you heard from your constituents here in the state of Iowa. Yeah, you know, we looked largely back across the year and, and of course the dominant the dominant issue or dominant topic would be weather. And and we were in, you know, the third growing season of exceptional drought in the state of Iowa. You know, it really has stretched on now. We are we are just taking, squeezing every last drop of moisture we can out of that soil profile. And and yet, as I've traveled the state and talked with folks, people will tell me that yields were better than they ever could have expected, with some notable exceptions being Northeast Iowa had a pocket of just really intense drought and Southeast as well. And where they saw significant yield losses, but by and large across the state saw strong yields. And again, that's a testament to, well, it's a testament to many things, but not the least of which being, you know, better breeding and genetics in the crops that we grow, the traits that protect them, the inputs we use, the equipment, the knowledge. I mean, everything, tillage practices, cover crops, those are all things that contribute to resiliency. And so really, as I look at 20. Three, I think a lot about that. We had some, you know, policy things that happened this year that were watershed moments. Certainly, Proposition Twelve, you know, and the coming to the culmination of that is something that's certainly on our mind, and I know we'll probably talk about that a little bit. Um, and then high path avian influenza, the re- return of a foreign animal disease to the state. Those were things that really dominated uh, the the news cycles for for. So as you reflect on the year of what you, your team, and the state's been able to accomplish, what were a couple of the big wins during 2023? Yeah, you know, isn't that funny? We tend to think about the the challenges, the barriers, the the things that were stressing for us, and and I think that we love to, we should be thinking about the successes, the wins. I love that. Um, you know, for for us, uh, one of the the real bright bright moments or shining things this past year was our work around conservation, our efforts around improving water quality. We commemorated the 10th anniversary of Iowa's nutrient reduction strategy. We celebrated also decades of doing work on soil conservation, soil erosion prevention. And I'm really proud that in the face of some, you know, some really, some challenging times, uh, inflation, rising interest rates, global uncertainty, all the things that we talked about before, or we talk about as being challenges, we set a record for conservation work getting done in the state of Iowa this past year. And in fact, it was the third year in a row that we set a record. And I'm really proud of that. That takes a team effort, many, many partners, lots of folks just saying yes to conservation and getting the work done. You know, another uh, win or a fun thing that we did that I'm really proud of is we launched Choose Iowa. So a branded program for Iowa-grown, Iowa-made, Iowa-raised products. You know, I, th- I talk a lot about, and I've made a focus of my time as secretary fighting for markets. And oftentimes we think about that maybe in the international sense, and we've done that. Uh, we might think about it domestically around biofuels or you know, access to markets like California, and we've certainly had activity there. Uh, but we also are fighting at the very local level. Uh, folks want to shop local. They want to know where their food comes from. We have a golden opportunity to expand that, really capitalize on the brand of Iowa agriculture. So 
those are a couple of the bright spots that really stick out. Now, Secretary Nag, I'm glad that you mentioned renewable fuels because obviously that's a big priority for Midwestern farmers. And we've got a lot of headlines about where E15 year round is going to be headed from here. But we know that eight states, including the state of Iowa, recently sent a letter to the EPA. Uh, but what's your outlook here to get this pushed through? Do you have a, an expectation that this is going to get resolved quickly? Well, I, yeah, gosh, I, uh, that's a good question. That's a good question, Delaney. I, I certainly hope that, that it will, but we all know hope is not a very good strategy, is it? <laughs> um, yes, it is my expectation, frankly, that this will, we will see progress. And, and because in my mind, it makes so much darn sense that it's just, how can you possibly not move ahead? One, we think that the administration is obligated to answer this question around the waiver uh, requests that the governor has made, Governor Reynolds and, and her colleague. Uh, but there is this just makes all kinds of sense. We've got uncertainty in the world. We've got disruption in a part of the world where, you know, guess what, where petroleum comes from. Shouldn't we be trying to shouldn't we be trying to do things that that favor or enhance or or uh, create more opportunities for domestic energy production. And I mean domestic energy production of all kinds, but certainly renewable factors into that. So uh, I have to tell you, just recently, I, I'm always paying attention to the difference between uh, unleaded 88 or E15 and either non-ethanol fuel or even E10. Uh, just recently, I filled up 30 cents, 30 cents between uh, E10 and E15. Uh, that matters to my pocketbook, and I think it does to uh, a lot of Iowans. Now, why can't more folks, uh, not just in the state of Iowa, but outside of the state of Iowa, benefit from that as well? So, uh, of course, I'm very, uh, very want to be aggressive on on biofuels, but also trying to think ahead. You know, sustainable aviation fuel, renewable diesel, renewable natural gas. We can play a huge role in uh, ensuring energy independence for our country, but also in benefiting consumers and the producers of uh, our egg products. Yeah, that's good. And it is nice to see states coming together to be able to push for an effort like that. What is something else that you and some of the other Midwestern secretaries have been working together on to get accomplished? Yeah, that's a, you're, you're right. When you, you know, uh, we can sort of look at the federal government and say, well, gee, we wish they were, or why don't they? And then you think, well, let's get together with some states and, and uh, you know, uh, work together, you know, generate a Midwest perspective, for instance, and, and uh, those can be those can be uh, very important things. You know, I, I, I'm heavily involved in our uh, National Association for State Departments of Ag, NASDA, and that's a group that it's uh, nonpartisan. You know, you got states from different regions and different political backgrounds working together. And I think it's when you when you can get together on on issues across that diverse set of groups, I think that's very, very powerful. So of course, there we're talking a lot about farm bill, um, trade policy, uh, foreign animal disease prevention and, and response preparedness. That's another good example of, uh, of where we're working together. And I think the other big, big issue, and this reaches into a lot of different aspects of agriculture, is certainly around workforce. The challenge around workforce and uh, frankly, the issues around uh, immigration uh, connected to that. So those are some of those issues that we certainly work together on. And the other one would be uh, we work, you know, in co coordination with and, and collaboration with states across the Mississippi region as it relates to the Gulf Hypoxia Task Force. And so th those are some of those examples of where you, you cut across state lines and try to be doing things together. 
Secretary Negas, you look to 2024 and the year ahead of us, you know, we have had numerous reports and folks putting out research suggesting that 2024 is going to be a little bit tighter of a year mm-hmm. for farmers. Margins are going to be a little tighter than they have been the last few years. In your discussions with farmers, what are some of the biggest things that they're watching or being aware of as we head into the new year? And what's the Department of Agriculture doing to help brace for that impact of a tougher year ahead? You know, that's so right. And and I think most folks would say exactly that. I mean, reports are out, uh, research is being done, analysis projecting that on-farm income will be less this year. You know, uh, you're just seeing commodity prices come back to earth a little bit. Um, input prices, land prices, all those things staying relatively high. You know, and when you have a convergence of those two things, uh, obviously that, that puts uh, margins under pressure. And so uh, it's a year maybe to go back to some basics. Uh, maybe another term that I don't know that most folks like, but, but uh, you know, you're hearing a lot of folks saying things like interest rates are more normal. Commodity prices are more normal uh, than they have been. And, uh, you know, you can agree or disagree with that, but, you know, certainly interest rates being at eight, nine percent are two and three times what they were, the, you know, in the past few years, but as you look across time, yeah, they are a little more like normal. Uh, so those are things that I think people are are having to try to digest and factor into their their uh, their business planning this year as well. And, and then, of course, none of us have certainty or can project what will happen, you know, in terms of the global marketplace. This year. So just trying to get back to some of the basics, managing the things you can managing the risks around the things that you can't, right? Uh, crop insurance, critically important. Um, you know, ensuring that we're doing everything we can to fight, you know, prevent foreign animal diseases and respond effectively if we get them. You know, we should try to be pursuing certainty wherever we can. A farm bill brings certainty because it gives you a five-year runway then on, hey, this is how programs are going to be, you know, administered. And and so doing whatever we can to bring certainty uh, to farms and farmers and ag businesses over the course of the next year or coming years will be critically important. Again, this is all done in the backdrop of you've got, you know, a war in Europe, you've got a conflict, terrible conflict in the Middle East, you've got uh, China making moves in Asia, you've got disruption in South America, you've got disruption in Africa. Uh, those are all things, global events that we can't control, but they certainly do impact us. So another year of really watching the bottom line, watching the basics and trying to manage your risk. So as you and your team look to start off 2024 with some key initiatives, what's at the top of the list that you guys will be tackling? Well, certainly as we go into the legislative session, which will start up here uh, pretty quickly after the new year, we're always uh, first, we have to think about our budgets and, and some of our prioritization there. Uh, really trying to hold the line and continue our strong momentum and and our long-term dedicated funding sources for water quality. That's very, very important to us. We have to sustain the effort. Um, two would be around continuing to support our work to uh, around the animal industries. Uh, we've been working hard, uh, our team and the industry and USDA to manage what is now the largest foreign animal disease outbreak in US history, IPAT avian influenza over the last two years. But how do we think ahead to African swine fever? Are we prepared? How can we be better prepared? That will remain a focus for us and a priority for us with our legislature 
And expanding on that uh, Choose Iowa program, uh, we're, we're really keen on, on seeing what we can do to ramp that up. And uh, you know, th those will be among the, the priorities that we have uh, in, in the legislative session. Fantastic. Well, Secretary Nag, we certainly appreciate you joining us here today on the podcast and excited for the year ahead. You know, it it you you can you can dwell a little bit too long on the things that you can't control, right? Or the uncertainties and the barriers. But uh, as I like to say, as we launch into a new year, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world doing what we do than right smack dab in the middle of the United States. And certainly I'm blessed. Uh, to be in the great state of Iowa. So we're certainly going to play to our strengths. And and uh, I think there's plenty of good things and blessings and joys that will come in, in the new year. And we're certainly anxious for those. It's always good to talk with Secretary Nag, And what a timely conversation as we enter a new year. It's good to see his office has been busy and will be busy for the year to come ahead. It does. And there's a lot of uh, interesting things ahead for not only Iowa farmers, but all farmers. So we'll be keeping them abreast of that here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, Tanner. But for now, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.